This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, this is Jeff Hall. I am the founder and CEO of Second to None. And what I love about retail is that when it is done well, it invites me as a customer on a journey of discovery. And through that journey, I can create a, ideally, a close relationship with that brand and become a fan for life. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. Boy, oh, boy, are we glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. I'm Mark Rako, and also here is Rebecca Fitz. Hey, Rebecca. Hello, Mark. Hi, Rebecca. How are you weathering the storm, Rebecca? Uh, In between shows today, we we recorded a few shows today, and in between shows, Rebecca, uh, if I may let the cat out of the bag, was dealing with some of the, uh, the same stress as a lot of us in very densely populated in New York deal with noises in confined spaces and spotty Wi-Fi and so forth, and uh, a little tougher during the pandemic. But how are you doing? I am well. Um, You know, every day it doesn't dawn on you, but every once in a while somebody says, you know, over 120 days or eight months. And I I may have gotten that jinx somewhere uh, over the weekend. And all of a sudden you're like, eight months of this. Um, But but we we carry on uh, and, uh, you know. New Yorkers are doing a good job, so uh, we'll see how it goes, and we're keeping an eye on the rest of the country. New York knows how to get stuff done. And by stuff, and by stuff, I mean another word. So, <laughs> all right. Anyway, enough about us. Let's talk more about Jeff Hall. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be with you today. Thanks. Same here. I think a really good place to start in this particular conversation is a place that we don't always start because. I don't know that second to none is a, a household name enough for everybody to know exactly what you do, but they probably know the things that you do. So can you fill us in on, on what exactly second to none is all about and why we've probably seen your work? Yeah, exactly. So we're we're certainly one of those companies that's, you know, under the radar, but for retailers and and restaurant chains and really, you know, any any sort of multi-unit multi-location brand that's that's customer-centric, customer-committed, we're known. And what we are is we're a, a customer experience insights agency. We help retailers across North America in continuously measuring and improving the customer experience across their in-store, their online, their phone, and their digital touch points. So we're the company in the background that sends out mystery shoppers to uh, evaluate operational excellence and execution in retail stores. I've done that before, by the way. I've, I've been, <laughs> Superb. My, my and wife I've and I always not, wanted to. <laughs> it, it's, you know, I'll tell you what, Rebecca, it's not easy. It's I, not easy. It's I, very complicated. I've seen the, the list of questions. I know. And, you know, I say this a lot on the show. I was like, Mark, I'm this gold medalist shopper. Um, but that really is that I consume probably more than I should. Not that I'm probably going through all the te- steps that you have to be a mystery shopper at second to none for. So sure. let's yep. not confuse and, those. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just, I just started to get us off. I just had to mention, uh, 
I get where you're coming from. So continue, yeah. please. No, that's fantastic. And mystery shopping is a is a super important tool, especially you know, sort of in the in the current environment that retailers are working within, to really understand how well they're operationally executing against their own standards. And then we oftentimes supplement and complement the insights that mystery shopping gives uh, with voice of customer uh, surveys. So rather than sending a, a trained mystery shopper into a store, we're actually doing you know, post-transaction surveys of actual customers of the retail brand. And then the third leg that we often roll in is that of voice of employee surveys and mm. really getting a pulse of employee sentiment and engagement because it's those frontline associates that are really setting the, the tone and setting the standard around the types of experiences that customers are having these days. So we really triangulate uh, those three types of data sets and we fuse them together and we uncover the stories in the data that, that can help retail brands make much more informed decisions. And they're certainly, you know, finding themselves having to make all kinds of decisions these days around how to pivot and how to adapt and how to come out of this pandemic environment in a way that they can be sustainable. And relevant. Rebecca, I know you have a whole arsenal of questions lined up here. They're so curious, but I, I do want to interject one quick question for Jeff here. You know, it's interesting. We've talked about this even in terms of like sustainability considerations for companies. In a, in a way, what you're talking about is maybe more important than ever for a lot of, uh, of retailers and so forth. But at the same time, a lot of retailers are tightening their belt out of necessity and going with what keeps the lights on. So my question is, how are you seeing the attitude of retailers typically right now? Are they saying the stuff you guys are doing is so essential? Some of them are doing it when they've none, never done it before because they need every angle, every strategy they can to be able to move forward versus saying, look, I wish we could do this. This makes sense to do, but I don't even know I'm paying my people next week. So this maybe next month we'll do this. Where's the thinking generally? Well, you know, quite honestly, it's a, it's a little bit all over the board. <laughs> okay. um, and I think it's, you know, primarily a reflection of perhaps the level of maturity that a brand has or doesn't have. By maturity, do you mean do you mean how long it's been around or the maturity of the leaders? Maturity of the leaders and to the degree that they have internalized and adopted, you know, customer experience as a continuous and, and critical component of their strategy, of their operating strategy. Right. And so it, it requires, you know, organizational courage to adopt customer experience as a strategy, courage to to hear what your customers have to say. <laughs> mm -hmm. And where you need to make improvements uh, to retain their their business and their loyalty, but you know there's just been such an incredible and and really a fundamental change that's happened with consumers over the last seven months that we're actually seeing more more companies step forward and say, "Hey, we need to adapt some of these tools to become part of our strategic insights." Great segue, and not necessarily an arsenal of questions. I think this is going to be a really amazing and organic conversation. But, I mean, first and foremost, and Mark, you dipped in on this. Um, when I was reading about you, I was like, my God, he must be the busiest man in the world right now. Know. Because, you know, I work for a company that operates stores for brands. And 
you know, there was a, was a lot of, I don't want to call it intrepidation, but customer experience is almost everything to a lot of direct-to-consumer brands um, outside of actually building their brand. And then to put on top of it, and let's let's be nitty-gritty because I'm sure you're talking about this stuff. As a gold medalist shopper and someone in retail, I, I go into stores. I've gone in in phase one, two, three, four. And, you know, I am not always totally know what I can touch and what I shouldn't touch and what's going to be cleaned and trying it on. I've had very, very, very pleasant experiences. And do you hand sanitize on your way in? Or is that just a a recommendation? And so really, you know, and it's funny, Mark and I are always like, we hate to talk about COVID-19 every single show, but it's just, it's so relevant, I think, to this conversation. So I'd love to hear more. One, you're busy with the folks who certainly can afford you and are putting this top of mind. And I love that that came from the maturity of leaders and, and the bravery of leaders, which I think cannot be missed. But what what are some of the things that are going on? Um, and maybe if you're a mystery shopper in this environment, what, what are you doing? Yeah. So, you know, I think you touched on, a, you know, a really important point. What we've seen happen, and, and we're certainly, you know, part of our work uh, requires that we're continually following the trends of, of consumers you know, shifting mindsets and their changes both in in shopping behaviors and shopping preferences. And I think, you know, it's fair to say that since March, consumers, for the most part, have have undergone a significant change in their habits. We're changing what we value, how and where we shop, and how we live and work. So, you know, consumers' complete lives have been impacted by this. And what they're looking for now, what consumers are really looking for are retailers who are are operating in such a manner that they're lifting their confidence as related to how in-store, especially how they're following COVID-related protocols. And what is the in-store messaging and communications? And our employees, do they have proper PPE and social distancing behaviors in place? And you know, in general, our retailers creating an environment of safety where it's clear and evident that they're taking care of their employees as much as they're looking out for their customers, right? People want to feel safe. You know, the top three priorities right now in consumers' lives is individual, you know, personal health and well-being. Secondly, the personal health and well-being of their family members and friends. And third, being financial security. And those three priorities have shaped the lens at which consumers are looking at every buying decision these days. And certainly there's been an incredible shift to digital, you know, the convenient shopping, app-based shopping online, whether it's, you know, buy online and pick up in store or whether it's curbside pickup or home delivery, you know, there's this massive shift to digital. But there's still, you know, a considerable subset of consumers that, you know, especially in grocery, (laughs) where um, maybe they haven't adopted to that and they're still going in store and they're looking for these visual signals that this brand is looking out for me. And they're going to remember that post-pandemic, post-COVID. You know, those that are being mindful of consumer concerns now are going to be the winners in the future for share of wallet and share of market. I would have to agree, uh, you know, 100% on that as somebody who's been been out and about. I guess one of my questions is an interesting analogy. 
I like sports. I like to be a spectator. I like to play them. And when you watch a professional on TV, one of the hardest things for me, having done some sports, is consistency. Um, and so, if you're Tiger Woods and you're up and down, that's really one not what the, you know the uh, spectator wants to see, but it's not what you want of yourself. And one of the things I certainly saw when I went out and about into the field, which I really don't want to refer to that as, when I just went out as a normal consumer and started doing some normal normal things again, was looking for some consistency across the board for sure. And those three cues you laid out were absolutely that. I'm not going to shop at a store where the employees aren't going to be treated well, or Mark and I have had a lot of conversations about employees being on the front lines of having to enforce masks. I actually wrote an article about it. I was so moved by it. But how are how are you garnering consistency in CX um, in this environment? Because I think that's probably, I think, one of the hardest things, maybe in life. The sports analogy, I think, is just kind of there. But I think people want a staple when they go out to whether it's uh, essential goods or it's non-essential. That's right. Yeah. Oh, consistency. Consistency is, is key right now. And in fact, that's probably why we're we're finding a lift in business right now, because some of our tools actually provide that intelligence in a continuous manner. Not just, you know, customer listening posts through customer surveys and feedbacks. You layer in the mystery shopping or the store visits, and that's where you start to get into the granularity of at down at the location level. And these can be retailers that have a footprint of 500 stores to 2,500 stores or more, they have to know, are they executing in a consistent manner across just not just their operating standards, but also COVID-related protocols? And where are their deficiencies in execution? And so our tools are able to provide them that intelligence in real time so they can immediately take corrective action. And that goes a long ways towards continuing to build consumer confidence, customer confidence, and making sure that they're not doing anything that's causing customer attrition or making a customer say, hey, you know, they're not really meeting the standards and expectations that I have these days. I'm going to take my business elsewhere. And that must have been uh, super challenging. I really enjoyed reading some of the articles where some of the bigger retailers came out and said, even though it's not consistent from state to state, um, because we're on our own state to state to do mask wearing, we're going to take, you know, a line in the sand um, or a stake in the ground on mask wearing in our stores or not in our stores, whether it's required in this state or not, but you had kind of a lot of competing voices. I think it's getting less so as we're making our way, you know, through the pandemic. You know, one of the trends that we're seeing, and it's starting to emerge in the media, is this this notion of COVID fatigue. <laughs> and in certain retailers, you know, grocery, we do a ton of work with grocery brands, and their stores have just been, they've been busy since day one, right? They never really got a break. And they're, you know, essential frontline workers. And now we have, you know, we're starting to see this this COVID fatigue start to emerge where some customers are coming in and and they're, you know, intentionally determined or deciding to not wear masks or not follow social distancing protocols. And it's putting the store employees in a really tough situation that they didn't really sign up to be in, right? And there was an article that came out yesterday in the National Retail Federation is going to be partnering with a... uh, a special consultancy to develop training materials for retailers to share with their frontline associates on how to de-escalate 
tense situations that are now starting to emerge in store, not just between customers and employees, but between customers, issues that are developing, um, tensions that are flaring. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how this pans out. And hopefully level heads will prevail and people will will step back and think about, you know, making the right choices. But it's it's definitely a challenge in, environment within environments where, you know, employees are already already have anxiety about going to work at times, you know, whether they're concerned about their own health or those of, of a loved one, you know, going home and exposing them. So yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting situation. Um, and thankfully we, you know, we offer the tools that, that help these retail operators understand, you know, what's happening because they can't be in all of their stores every day. Right, right. And, and on a lighter note, you know, I think to, to the fatigue point, and I'm one of them, Plug your ears, Mark, because this is something you would never do. But <laughs> the human earmuffs on gyms are now opening back up in New York, and you have to make an appointment, and you can wait, go. Wait, wait, what do you mean something I would never do? <laughs> you would not go to a gym right now. I can I can tell oh, you that okay. you would I not. I thought you meant like in general. I was like, <laughs> not not your phys- This is not about your physical fitness. <laughs> okay. So I would now have this routine where I'm trying to go to the gym at certain times and it is bringing back this joy because my path to where I work out happens to be dangerously close to Soho. I actually walk through it. And one of the things I would do as you know, a woman who's married with no children is that on my way home, I'd stop into some of these shops. And I also work in retail. So if it's a new direct-to-consumer brand, if it's a pop-up, what have you. And so there was some joy in me the other day when I was like, this feels slightly normal, even though I have a mask on and it's sweaty and whatever. Um, But I would really like to walk into the store and check it out instead of buying it online and having it delivered. And again, I'm different than a lot of people because I believe in retail and not just only for my own job (laughs) capabilities. Um, And and it was actually fantastic. And they, uh, I was still confused about whether they wanted me to hand sanitize first or not. But then they were really, it was one-on-one experience. They brought me over. I tried on some jewelry. I noticed it went right onto a plate where I'm sure they then took it back and had it sanitized. But I think that's a little different than the, the grocery store guy. But they're certainly struggling because I will say this, and I you know, feel... I have mixed emotions about it. I certainly haven't tried on any clothing and I don't even know what that's about. Maybe I haven't seen anything I liked. I just have not been willing to go into a dressing room, you know, disrobe, do the whole thing. Um, So how, how is that sector? Because I think that's probably the harder of the two is not to say that grocery stores aren't having some of the things you just mentioned. Before you answer, Jeff, it's, I'm so glad you asked this, Rebecca, because this actually ties very well into my question. I think it, it might make sense to sort of uh, integrate my question into what you have to say, Jeff. And that is sure. different than Rebecca. I'll say that my wife and I, which, you know, we don't speak for the majority of the population per se, but we've lost our interest in going into retail stores. There isn't enough for us, just us, we don't care enough about it at this point to go in because we're really about getting stuff we need instead of it being a recreational experience for us. There's enough of the population that buys because they need, not because they like to shop. And then there's those who enjoy the shopping experience. So how, 
how, how do you get the people who don't care about that back in the storm being while they still perceive any level of risk? So I think that ties in a little bit to what you were saying, because here you are a gold medal shopper and, and, and there's things you're not willing to engage in yet, but you're willing to go in the store. And then you have us that are like, I know I, you can't pay me enough to go in there right now. I don't care how cheap things are or whatever. So you've got yeah. you've got the yin and yang right here on this That's podcast. Right. Exactly. Well, and I think I think the two of you are a great example of of, of what's happened, you know, across the country, right? <laughs> Everybody, you know, became sort of intensely focused on nesting and everything got with, you know, sort of drawn in into our home environment. It's where we now work and live and rest and play. And everything's become really focused around those four walls. And I think to a large degree, you know, many consumers, their behavior has changed around the, the level of desire they have to go out and, and to go into a retail store or into a restaurant or, or just to be out. Right. And it's a reflection of how everybody has individually processed the covert environment that we're living in and, and the degree or the level of anxiety um, or discomfort they may have uh, in going out. But certainly, you know, one of the huge trends has been, you know, home is now the hub of everything. And for retailers that can pivot and, and meet consumer needs in this new reality, you know, they're going to do well going forward. You talked about being able to get to the gym and working out. A lot of folks don't have a comfort level in doing that, but there's been a huge spike in brands and products and merchandise that can help people do self-care and, and working out from home, right? Uh, Peloton's a huge, a great example of direct-to-consumer. I myself bought a Peloton bike as, as COVID was getting started. And it's been life-changing because I can take care of myself every day and it's convenient. It's right at home. I don't have to go out and put my health at risk. But even outside of, of well care and, and self care and, and working out, those brands that can support consumer needs in home cooking, in DIY home improvements, in gardening, in arts and crafts, they're all going to continue to do well. But at the same time, there's been a really interesting shift in behavior, and then it's become much more locally focused closer to home shopping, and a huge focus on supporting your locally owned, more independent retailers, which I think could be one of the silver linings that comes out of this. <laughs> They've certainly been struggling. And I think a lot of us you know, fear that our more beloved locally owned businesses may not survive this long term. So we're intentionally focused on supporting them you know, as much as we can. So I think that's been a really positive outcome of this is that uh, small business, local business, you know, may do well as, yeah, there, I think there's sort of competing behaviors here that are taking place. There really, there, there are, and there's something interesting. It's too, hard to tease it out. Yeah. About what you're saying as well, which is something that used to be to Mark's point, fun and a leisure activity for me. And it, it, it still is. I'm, you know, I'm not spending a ton of time in stores, but is also, and it applies to all these other industries, and I'll give one more, I think, interesting question about where I'm sure you're probably talking to folks, but I have a friend in Europe, and she traveled to see uh, relatives, and I kind of was cheering her on and asked about her experience, and travel isn't what it's, it used to be, because you can't get on, we've all probably done a ton of business travel, 
you're not going to get on anymore. You're thinking about a lot of other things. And besides, how can I just get to my seat and hopefully not have anybody next to me and have a glass of wine and pump out some work? There's a whole nother round of things that you're thinking of, like, God willing, I'm going to be six feet apart from the other person. So I think that probably is at the crux of it, too. I do love the local stuff. And we're certainly doing that. My husband said to me the other day, I feel like I'm sending a kid to college because I'm trying to buy from all these businesses. You know, I guess one of my interesting things on the kind of retail real estate side also is, are you hearing from from malls? Because they are a box of boxes. Um, and I happened to be on a customer experience team years ago. And I think we were ahead of our time in trying to change the mall experience. And once again, talk about a pivot. You know, this is kind of a giant one for, for them. Uh, and I'm sure there are other categories that are, are knocking on your door. Yeah, we certainly do a lot of work with, you know, mall-based retail brands. And I think their mall locations, you know, it's fair to say, have certainly suffered the most versus inline or freestanding uh, retail. There's probably the most pronounced hesitancy on consumers' behalf in going into an enclosed mall environment uh, right now. But I think it's it's still early as far as the conversations that are starting to take place around mall operators. We've done some work with actually in your, in your neighborhood, Americana, Manhasset, and some other uh, mall operators on the, on the West Coast uh, and property developers, where they're really starting to take a significant look at, you know, what is their model going to be going forward? There's certainly going to be considerable empty real estate in some of these locations <laughs> as certain retailers just maybe just go online only. And, you know, we, we saw it early on with Sears and now we're looking at, you know, the JC Pennies of the world and, and others where there's going to be huge swaths of real estate that will not be replaced by retail in all likelihood. And so I think what we'll see is I think we'll see these mall environments become much more diverse in the type of environments they're offering consumers. Um, and you may see you may see housing go in. You may see office space go in. There's a mall just outside of Detroit here where uh, Lord & Taylor went out and Ford Motor Company went in and took the three stories. It's an end cap sort of anchor you know, location, and they turned it into a really creative office space for millennials, for their millennial employees to work. And there's this nice synergy that was developed out of that. And now, now the mall has, you know, uh, sort of this population that's that's on site all day. <laughs> and so it's great for the retailers and the food service operators. It's kind of interesting that that's not something someone really widely thought of before. That just seems to make so much yeah. freaking sense. Of course it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And it was beginning to come. I, I agree, by the way, and I've certainly posted and hopefully not gotten people bent out of shape, but um you know, dark stores, it's, it sounds like it's a bad thing, but it really isn't because it could be distribution. It could be a mixed use when you weren't before. But yeah. if you live, work and play, and we're going to probably live, work and play for quite a while. And who knows That's if we'll right. shift back. Yeah. Macy's just announced that they're going to be doing a dark store strategy over the holidays in certain locations. Right, which you is... Know, you can do curbside pickup, but you just won't be able to go inside. As an American... There is no greater privilege and responsibility than choosing who will represent you and your family to determine the course of history, your lives, the economy, your health, your safety. On November 3rd, please choose to vote. 
To vote early or if you need an absentee or mail-in ballot, please visit vote.org. Your future self thanks you. You know, you're working with retailers, certainly in the physical environment, as far as kind of secret shoppers and then giving solutions. But I am hearing, and again, as a retail real estate person, sometimes it breaks my heart. Well, say, ask your wife where she shops in Austin, and it'll be one, two, and then online, or online, and then one and two are the other choices. So how are you helping brands with their online strategy? Because I, I imagine there's a flood there. I have not done any kind of curb pickup other than really food and things like that. But um, that that's another huge pivot um, that right, folks right. probably needed oh. a lot of help to adapt. Yeah, it's, it's probably the most significant pivot that's happening right now. Consumer adoption of digital purchasing and online in the last seven months is equal to consumer adoption over the last 10 years. Just massive shift to online. And when we think of omni-channel customer experience in the online world, it it's now covers a lot of different elements. It's in-app ordering, it's online ordering, it's delivery, it's curbside pickup. Uh, virtual consultations are now starting to take hold in both the apparel world, getting back to your apparel comment, virtual consultations there also with healthcare, of course, also with consumer electronics and technology products. Uh, virtual consultations are getting big. Phone, website, store, uh, locker pickup. And our platform allows us to measure consumer experiences across all of those touch points. So it's it's not just the physical brick and mortar locations at all. Um, we're seeing uh, a lot of studies and initiatives that we're launching for brands that are solely online based and digitally based, whether it's in-app ordering and then curbside pickup or home delivery. Uh, there's all sorts of iterations that take place, buy online, pick up in store, you know, purchase returns, you know, sort of all those, you know, key and critical touch points that retailers, you know, have to be hitting on all cylinders, especially as they're getting into the, the critical holiday season, which is going to look different this year, you know, than it has ever looked. Yeah. But yeah, we're all about providing those data-driven customer experience insights, regardless of the channel, regardless of the touch point. It really comes down to, you know, working with the brand to determine, okay, where do we start? Yeah. You know, what are the highest priority touch points? Where do we start? And then iteratively building upon that, you know, sort of walk before we run and making sure that the data that's being collected and the insights that are being derived are being cascaded throughout the organization to people that can use that information and then do use that information to affect positive change. You know, we're in this world right now where any business is almost overwhelmed with the amount of data and information that they have at their hands. You, you, know? you took the words right and, out of my mouth. It's, it's, it's um, mind boggling is what it is. And, it's and mind boggling. That's, that's why and I, it needs to yeah. be properly distilled and the stories need to bubble out of that. And it's really about, you know, getting the information in the hands of the right people at the right time. And and part of the beauty of our platform is it's all done in real time. So there isn't a delay between the measurements we're taking and our ability to get the performance results into the hands of of the key stakeholders. And that's key now. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's absolutely key. 
Yeah, what you just said, I hope resounds with everybody, which is there are so many choices for retailers. It is mind boggling. But if you take the walk before you run, because you won't be able to do all of them, I, I imagine that's what you're advising folks to do, that that's really important. Um, I have a local, a lot of local restaurants where we actually know the owners and um, I'm so happy to see them when they opened. And um, he said, I can't, you know, I'd love to, you know, chat with you and stand out in the street and have a cocktail. But, um, and he named off, you know, 25 apps that they just gotten up and running and that he had to check all of them. Um, And it was so funny. It was almost like a comedy skit. I think he added one in at the end that he had probably just made up. But, you know, he... (laughs) I really, it wasn't caviar. It wasn't seamless. It was like something really no one had ever heard of. And so he's pivoting. And I think he's really working with the times for the kind of restaurant it is. But, you know, if you're not, it it could be detrimental. So that that point is just, um, I don't think it's lost on anyone. But certainly hearing it out loud is I want to want to be positive about it. So it is doable. Yeah. It's doable. And I think, you know, a really important point is that especially given quite honestly, the financial struggles that most operators are having, retail, especially restaurant, but really everyone, right? And, and they're having to make decisions about where they're, where they're spending dollars they may have around customer experience. And, and oftentimes the perception, unfortunately, is that in order to do customer experience insights well, it has to be a really significant investment. And that's simply not the case, right? We always counsel against, you know, don't feel that you have to do do it all and you don't have to use all these different services. And and often because oftentimes the outcome is you have all this siloed data and there isn't any way to bring it together in a common environment. And it is okay to start small and, and start with just a single feedback loop. Um, that works well for the type of operator you are, the type of brand you are, and then build upon that eventually if it makes sense to. But we spend a lot of time with our our clients upfront, really discerning, you know, what makes sense, what's a good starting point. We often do small pilot programs just to make sure: is it going to work for you? Is it is it going to provide the type of yeah. of information and decision making capacity that you're looking for? Right. And I think that's really important, you know, to find a customer experience partner that that takes that sort of servant leadership attitude or mindset. We wake each day. We know we are here to be of service to you and we're going to, you know, be fully all in and give you our complete and undivided attention in helping you be a successful operator. And so that's that's, you know, a really important, I I think, uh, characteristic to look for. You know, it's interesting. That was such an empathetic statement. I I feel the need uh, as we we close out this segment to circle back to something you said very early in the conversation, which related to the importance of empathy in retail. And so I have a two-pronged question, Jeff, and you can take whichever one of these first you want to. The first is, can you touch on from your perspective through your lens, how retailers can be thinking about deploying empathy, genuine empathy in an online shopping experience. And the second is, how are you or retailers thinking about ways that they can merge the deployment of empathy, for lack of a better way of putting it, and the gathering of data points together? Can you create a positive customer experience? I'm sure you can 
that is actually a Trojan horse for gathering data that you need so that the gathering of data doesn't create a negative experience. It's actually creating a more positive empathetic experience. So how, whichever you'd like to tackle first. Yeah, those are both great sort of hypotheticals, right? <laughs> and I, it's probably, you know, represents kind of the holy grail of, of where brands want to go, especially in the online realm of delivering a user experience and a customer experience that is empathetic, but it's all digitally based. And I think, you know, I think it starts with leadership making it clear that this is a priority and bringing in developers and user experience experts that are keeping that top of mind as they're mapping out what does this digital or online customer journey look like and clearly defining that and mapping that out and then putting subtle measures in place initially to see how each of those facets along that customer journey are performing and actively asking for customer feedback at different parts of of, of that customer journey, you know, and then making iterative improvements as, as they go forward. I think the biggest, probably the biggest challenge is that most companies have failed to look at these online touch points from the lens of, of how can we design it so that it is human centered and that there's empathy baked into it. I think it's, you know, unfortunately, and again, it gets it gets back to this this notion that, you know, businesses are completely overwhelmed with the amount of data they have. Um, they've got, and it, it's often siloed in so many different areas, that they then approach business from the lens of data points, and they're viewing customers as transactions, right? And they've designed the customer experience around you know, this transactional sort of perspective and lens. And we really feel that the pendulum has swung too far in that direction. It's time. And what better time than now in the midst of, of everything we're all living through to swing it back a bit more to, okay, how can we be much more intentional and human-centered and human-centric in our customer experience design? And then to cascade that out or translate that across to the physical retail environment, it's about having these conversations and making it clear that as an organization, we're going to give our employees, our frontline associates, the tools and the skill sets they need to be able to interact with customers from that mindset of, of having the capacity to understand what another person is experiencing or feeling from within their frame of reference and the capacity to place oneself in their shoes, right? That's where empathy can start to, to build from. But it has to start at the top of the organization. It has to be, you know, uh, uh, top down and it has to be modeled top down. You know, you you can't feel the empathy. I don't think empathy is believable as much if it seems like an advertising message or, or it seems like it's being delivered by order via associates versus from the top. Like you said, I'm reminded, did you ever see the movie Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton? Yeah. There's a scene in that where uh, the president of Schooner Tuna in an advertising campaign does a commercial where he waves a little American flag and he has a can of tuna and talks about that from now until the economic crisis is over, we're going to reduce the cost of tuna to x number of cents a can we're all in this together now you know whether reducing pricing is the 
answer or not. The point is that silly little example, you know, and that's the commercial they went for shows that that shows empathy. It, it shows it's from the top and it says, look, I get what you're going for. Here's how we are here to help you with that. Right. Whatever that whatever that means, yeah. whether that means making your shopping easier, more fun, safer, cheaper, whatever it is. You know? Well, and it, it takes organizational courage to say, you know, empathy is important to us. Right. And we're if especially if you're going to embed it into your marketing communications or your brand promise or part of your organizational culture, you know, customers are, and consumers are going to be looking to see, are you living that authentically and genuinely? Yeah and consistently. And if it doesn't pass the smell test, <laughs> you know, you've lost them. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the shadow side to saying, you know, empathy and human centricity is important to us, but it is the way forward. It's, it's the way forward in retail. It's the way forward for any business that wants to retain and keep their customers as challenging as the last seven months have been for, for everybody. You know, there's there's been a significant mind shift. People have had time to reflect on what's important to them in their lives, what's important in what they buy and where they buy it and who they buy it from. And they're really looking for companies to step up and to start making visible and meaningful change around sustainability, around taking care of their employees, about doing, you know, about doing what's right for society and for the planet. There's been this wholesale change across society, you know, um, in, in many ways, that now these are the things that are important to consumers. And the brands that are going to win going forward are the brands that are going to adopt this human-centric commitment, empathy, caring, and, and they'll live it out and they'll show us that they're living that out, that they're living those values. Well, that's powerful. That's powerful, Jeff. Important. Jeff, I feel like this is a conversation we could just sit down, have a beer, and just keep going and going, peel the layers back on. But for now, we're going to move on to some personal questions. Get to know Jeff as a human being right after this. Hey, Dresden, do you like to laugh? Oh, Mark, heartily, heartily. Elsie, do you like comedy? Yeah. <laughs> I like to laugh at Elsie. I know, me too. <laughs> well, you can listen to funny people talking every week. It's a podcast, and we talk about humor and comedy, and honestly, we can barely get through a commercial. But I promise you'll have a good time here, and we talk to amazing people, comedians, business amazing. leaders, inspiring people about their lives and about humor, about comedy. We play improv games. Babble. We babble. We talk about. Uh, you'll be inspired and you'll laugh. <laughs> that's why he has a co-host. <laughs> we have. That's right. We have great food, celebrity stories, and we always play an improv game. So come on by. You'll have a great time. Funny people talking wherever the best podcasts are found. So Jeff. It's a uh, human being. <laughs> it's human being. <laughs> empathy, empathy. Let hashtag empathy. So we're gonna we're gonna get to know you a little bit. And and uh, Rebecca, if you will indulge me, I'd love to lead off if I could. Absolutely. As you remember back, Jeff, you don't have to name names, but as you you remember back to the times when you were, you know what? It doesn't have to be in the past. It can even be now. 
I would love you to share a time that you remember as a person, as a shopper, a very, very memorable, positive consumer experience that you had and why it stayed with you. And also, uh, let's go the other end of it. Uh, something that you really remembered, and maybe it was even a learning opportunity of a just really horrific customer experience that you had that almost made you want to say shame on you. You have anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I've, oh, I've had experiences on on both ends of of that spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually one of the more memorable ones I've had recently, actually, and it's it's with a brand that we work with that I just have become really a fan of theirs big time. It's uh, Shinola out of Detroit. Ah. Um, it's part of the uh, Shinola and Filson together, both you know great retail operators. But I believe Shinola originated in Rochester, New York, if I remember where I'm from. Yeah. And, and they're based now in Detroit and they just, they have this, you know, just fantastic narrative around what the impetus was behind, you know, starting the brand and how they want to, you know, rebuild Detroit and, you know, which is, you know, one of the major cities that's really been devastated over the last few decades, socially and, and economically. And so, um, you know, I found myself in a Shinola store and I was looking for a certain piece of, of merchandise and I was just struck by just sort of the the level of care in which the sales associate, you know, initially approached me and, and struck up a conversation. And I think I was struck in that it was just so genuine. And so it was so easy to sort of, you know, develop this instant conversational rapport between us. And I ended up spending, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes in the store before it was all over you know, finding exactly what it was I was looking for. You know, they offered to gift wrap it for me. It was a gift for a friend. They had a great little coffee house downstairs and went down and, you know, offered me a whatever sort of coffee drink on the house that I wanted. But it was just this type of experience that you don't necessarily expect anymore, right? I mean, I think we've all become so accustomed to very mediocre retail experiences for the most part. Certainly there are some exceptional, you know, large footprint operators, but I think those that are more medium size or or who come across as, as being smaller or, or local locally owned independent operators, they're just able to focus uh, on the in-store experience a bit more and can make it really exceptional uh, and memorable. And then, you know, the the other side of that spectrum, I was actually shopping for a car, a new car. I called the dealership. I they had the exact car on the lot that I wanted. I made an appointment to go in for a test drive. I went in, you know, had to sort of wait before I could talk to the salesperson, and you know, all these delays because they was just super busy, and just sort of, you know, just sort of walked by and handed me the keys. And other than getting my name, it was just sort of this key handoff. And he's like, you know, go out take it for a drive, see what you think, came back. It's only a twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars yeah. $40,000 yeah. purchase, you know, whatever. You're talking you know. maybe a $45,000 car. This all. is at an Audi dealership. They should they should be focused on the experience, right? Yeah, it's, it's um, Audi, not Audi. <laughs> right, right. So I get back from my test drive, and I'm walking up to the front door, and the salesman walks out and grabs the keys from me. And before even asking what I thought about it, did I want to sit down and talk about it? He says, I've got another customer in line that wants to test drive this and walks away from me and hands it to somebody else in the parking lot. And I had fully intended to sit down and buy that car. 
Oh, it was clear to me that he had more important, you know, priorities. And so I left and I ended up not buying the vehicle from that dealership. I went to another dealership 90 miles away that I drove to. I took the time to actually go that distance and ultimately had a great Audi experience. Um, so did you come back the next day go back in like pretty woman and say you know what remember me yesterday big mistake huge yeah yeah. Yeah, well you know i sent the general manager an email and never got a follow-up oh 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 come on so you know it's just uh you know falling through the cracks everywhere Um, wow now the end of the story is that a few years later that dealership was sold to a what is a much better operator uh, and I've since taken it in uh, for service there. Wow. But yeah. That's a great story. That's just, it took the, it would have taken the guy 30, t- 10 seconds to say, you know what, if you would just mind staying just for a second, there's some coffee over there. I promise I'll be with exactly. you as soon as I can. Exactly. Thank you very much for your patience. 10 seconds. Yeah. Not even a, a what did you think of the car? <laughs> You know, thanks for bringing it back. I've got somebody else to look that wants to drive it. He made a decision that you weren't buying. Right. He made a decision without the proper data, by the way. He made an assumption that was so far off base. I Um, wish so much we could find out if the person that he had ahead of you bought the car or not. I wish we could know. (laughs) So we could just celebrate. He didn't buy the car. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. He didn't deserve the sale. (laughs) That's right. So Jeff, uh, any final thought you might like to leave with us reflecting either on this conversation or about the retail environment in general, or just the work you do or whatever comes to mind, not to put you on the spot, but I want to give you the opportunity for a last word here. So, so really my, you know, my takeaway today uh, to the audience is to just really keep in mind that your customers are having an experience with you, whether or not it has been intentionally designed. And they're also comparing you to the best experiences that they've had and that they are having with other companies, both in the retail space and otherwise. So it's incredibly wise to, if you haven't, to think about investing in delivering the types of experiences that align with your company, that align with your brand promise, and that align with your culture. Brands who can demonstrate that they are making this commitment to consumers today and to the new needs that they're expressing are going to be the brand winners of tomorrow. Boy, that's so true. Thank you for that. And by the way, as a side note to that, we didn't talk about it too much here. I'm not sure every brand understands the customer experience their customers are seeking. They just say, well, we need to deliver an experience. Let's design something that makes sense to us without finding out not just who their customers are, but when they come there, what is it they want? That's you right. know, if if yeah. you are a luxurious uh, lingerie company, maybe those people want to feel pampered in their experience. I'm making that up. You know, if you're uh, sh- shaving goods for guys, grooming goods, I'm telling you, it's transactional. We want in and out. And just make me feel like you cared about my time and gave me what I needed and got, at least that's my opinion. Maybe that's not based on any data or anything. But my point is, is that then create the experience for me. Make me feel like you understand me. That's empathy, by the way. That's right. That's right. And oftentimes what happens, I think it's sort of sort of the default mode that companies go into, is they design the customer experience from the inside out. They're designing it from their lens, their perspective 
what they think their customers want. And today's consumers expect you to design the customer experience, the customer journey outside in. Flip the funnel. Invite your customers into the conversation. Ask them what their expectations and needs are. Design the experience to meet that. Yep. Boy, oh boy. How can people connect with you uh, directly, Jeff, or, or with your company? Yeah, so it's it's easy to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can email me at jeff at stn.com. We have a complimentary customer framework guide I'm happy to provide on how to design a human-centered customer experience strategy mm-hmm. uh, if, if a brand is just getting started in that. And I'm, I'm always happy to connect and have conversations and explore how we might be able to, to help you out and uh, be relevant and sustainable in the years ahead. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jeff Hall. What a very, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes you have people on this show and they look interesting or what they're doing is interesting, but it's really tough to get a sense in advance of kind of what kind of a discussion is going to end up being. And it just, this one caught me by surprise. It's just how this was such a great conversation. Uh, thank really you so was much very for moving. Us. So many. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, Jeff Hall, founder and president of Second to None. Uh, check it out. Uh, I think they're a valuable uh, resource. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, hopefully someday you won't just be the uh, people behind the success. People will be going, ah, oh, that must be Second to None. So uh, that, that's... thank you, Mark. Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> my, my best to both of you. Yeah. And you, to too. Listeners. you too. Thanks for coming on. All right, that's it for this episode of Retail is Your Business, and a good one it was for sure. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We really, really do appreciate that. And I mean that with a maximum amount of empathy, by the way, for uh, Rebecca Fitz. Thanks, Mark. I'm Mark Rico. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Retail is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Audio for business.